Hey everyone, we're back. Welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast. SOS number 12. Another week in review episode where we discuss how, by virtue of doing this podcast, we have solved all the world's problems once again <laughs> for the week of February 5th, the week ending February 5th, 2021. That's if you right. don't, If you don't count Saturday as the last day of the week. Yep. So how was your week? Uh, busy. How was your week? It was, it was good. Uh, I had some good days, had some medium days, but no bad days. So what That's more good. can you really ask for, right? That's right. That's right. Well, I think our five uh, or other four podcasts this week, I thought they were good. Mm-hmm. Which one did you really enjoy good. the most? They were all different. They were all different. I think Monday we did uh, uh, Yogi Berra, and uh, that was very fun. That was interesting. And then Tuesday was a uh, movie Tuesday. We did The Naked Gun. Mm-hmm. That was that was that was enjoyable. That was fun, lighthearted, because The Naked Gun was not a serious movie by any <laughs> means. You know, and then and then Wednesday we did the fallacies. Mm-hmm. I, I I found that intriguing. Uh, I think that important, and uh, I kind of wish more people would uh, have these kind of discussions about it, about fallacies. You know. Yeah. And then yesterday, then yesterday uh, we talked about uh, the Gospel Project. That's going to be interesting. Just reading the Gospels and and uh, just talking about them because uh, it is literature that's been around for a long time. It's stories that have been around for a long time, and I think it's a good idea that uh, for us to look at them. So I, th- I think this week was a very, very good week. Uh, which one do I like best? I really can't say. I like them all four for different reasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do, how do you compare the Naked Gun with the Bible? You know, <laughs> how do you do that? <laughs> I'm excited for the Gospel Project. Do you remember a few years ago when I was reading the Book of Genesis, and I'd come in and tell you the stories that were in it? Yeah. And Laura, who'd never read the book of Genesis, she'd say, that's not in there. And I'm like, I swear, that's <laughs> that's the actual story. That's what it says. Yeah. I, I mean, some of the stuff that's in the Bible, unless you read it with, you see it with your own two eyes, you'd be surprised, you know? You, you would be surprised. Yep, that's true. Because um, one thing that doesn't change is people. People don't change. People are are good today, and there's bad people today. There's smart people today. There's dumb, and it was the same back then. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of very interesting stories in the Bible. So it'll be fun. It'll be enjoyable uh, to discuss it and talk about it, especially the Gospels, talking about the life of Jesus, uh, to see uh, what. Uh, yeah, just just to talk about what he did back then, and what well, not what he did. What's in the Gospels? Because uh, uh, we'll talk about that too. I'm losing you. Do you I see, see that? that? I was messing around. I was trying to get. I, I shouldn't have done that. Um. Oh no. Um, okay. I, we're not good yet. But 
Um, for some reason, it's not doing a window capture. Uh, technical difficulties. Well, you know what? We're still learning, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No problem. I mean, uh, we're still learning. Okay. Well, here's the thing. I'm going to add you as a display capture. Okay. We still have audio. Um. Okay. All right. And then hold on. I just need to apply a filter to this and we'll be back in business. Okay. Okay. Um, well, we're having dead air here, so I'll just go ahead and talk. And uh, yeah, the, today we do the weekend review. And so we go back uh, the four days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And uh, we talk about what we talked about. And uh, I kind of like that. Uh, it's kind of like you say what you're going to say, then you say it, then you say what you said. <laughs> uh <-huh>. <laughs> you know, because there's three different views. One, what you're going to talk about, why it's important. Two, when you're saying it. And then three, uh, after you talked about it, uh, looking at looking back, uh, you can, it's a different view. So now that I think about it, I think it's a really good idea. I think today, uh, after we get done talking about what we talked about, uh, we should uh, maybe talk about what we're going to talk about next week. Yeah. I think it's a good idea to, to, to lay out what you're going to do, what you're going to talk about, and then talk about it. Mm -hmm. And then talk about what you talked about. Yeah. That's three different views. What you're going to do, what you're doing, what you did. Three different perspectives on on this the material we had. Yeah, that's a really clear picture. I know. I uh, it's not what I want, but it's going to be a workaround, and I won't be able to pull stuff up on the internet because I'm actually just capturing the display. I guess I could put it down here. Okay, we're good. <laughs> okay. Uh, a little annoying, but I was having technical difficulties all day. You know. Yeah, before you started, uh, mm -hmm. having a hard time getting going. So, you know what? We'll just have to chit-chat for about uh, 50 minutes or so and then call it an episode. Well, that's okay because uh, just just before we started this, I was doing my email and I got an email and, uh, and a student was saying, you posted the questions, but the questions have all the answers in them. And I go, oh man, because I've changed. I've changed the learning management system. That they they had me change it uh -huh. from what I was used to, what I what I was used to, to something I'm, I'm I have to redesign it now. Uh, and so they think, oh, it's better. Well, your productivity is going to go down, and the accuracy is going to go down until you get used to it. And so you may think it's better, but now. I get stuff out that I don't want out there mm -hmm. because it captures different things that I don't know about. And so the wrong things are up, that kind of thing. Yeah. So when you start changing things around and, and adding things, and I think we talked about this one episode about when there's updates, uh, that's not always better. Uh-huh. 
in, in every perspective. Anyway, so I was just working with uh, work, doing a workaround too on my stuff just before uh, we, we started. Well, yesterday we talked about the Gospel Project and, uh, and uh, we're talking to Laura, you know, your sister, my daughter, and, uh, and she mentioned that we probably uh, should mention my background, and so we'll probably do that next Thursday. Mm-hmm. But, but um, you know, I used to study the Bible quite a bit. Um, I even took a few seminary courses, uh, but it's Protestant, and so next Thursday we'll probably talk more about that a little bit, about my background. Mm-hmm. So I don't have an extensive background, but uh, I, I have studied the Bible uh, from a Protestant perspective, yeah, uh, and 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 then from a from a, a academic perspective, uh, the history of the Bible and all the synods and and uh, how they uh, decided on the canon of Scripture uh, and the manuscripts, and it's pretty darn interesting. And then uh, that was yesterday. And then Wednesday, the fallacies. I thought that was great. Yeah. So which one? Which one did you like best between Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Um, let's see. I don't know. I, I'd have to, sometimes you start just chit-chatting and the hour goes by and it's like, okay, that was fun. Um, I think in terms of content, I like the Yogi Berra just because when you're working off a list, you can keep things moving along. So we sort of just, we went through the yogiisms, and that sort of makes it a brisk pace for, uh, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It keeps it moving, and, it, and uh, yeah, it's good. Well, maybe we can, we're learning, and maybe we'll be careful to do that next time, too. Mm-hmm. Let's see What's here. Today? I mean, I'm wondering, we're here, and you know, we got 50 minutes left. I'm wondering if I can hang up on you and call you back, and I'll get your display, because I can't. I can't look at stuff on the internet, or else it'll be over you. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So can I, uh, what I'll do is I'll hang up, and I'll call you back and see if it works then. Does that sound good? Sure. All right. Sounds good. Uh-uh, uh-uh. All right. dice i'll try to figure it out after the episode i think that with obs running it's not going to work so and we're streaming now so we're i'm stuck with this i'm sorry it just it makes me mad when you have something set up (laughs) and then you're clicking around trying to improve it and then it breaks during the middle of the episode you know yeah um so we'll try to live with this but we can chit chat for an hour without me monkeying around on the internet right yep um yep yeah, so moving forward, I guess we could look at the news, too, if you want to. 
Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, so much is happening right now. I guess Tuesday, next week, are they going to start the trial or Monday or Tuesday? Yeah, it's fascinating to me. There's so much happening, like you said. Um, the virus, the vaccine, the variants, the economic hardship caused by the virus, and a new president sort of taking steps to combat the virus and perhaps provide fiscal stimulus to an economy uh, sort of racked by by the virus. And yet the story becomes, we have to punish the, the ex-president for doing a bad job. And um, there's this crazy lady in Georgia. Those are, don't you feel like those are kind of the stories that you're hearing more than others? And it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of sad because it's like, there's a lot to deal with. Why is that the story? I don't know. That's that's my back of the envelope calculation. Well, I've I've uh, I never thought of it until this year. Uh, the uh, how and there again, we're not experts in this area. We're just talking. We're just, just sons of Sequoia talking. Uh, it, it has it has uh, impacted me, and I've noticed how critical and how professional journalism has to be because uh, journalism they pick the stories to report and how many stories out there that uh, they don't report and so they they may not say anything that's wrong uh, but they do pick what they choose to report and not report that alone uh, can bias uh, uh, can bias the listeners and bias the people who listen to the news I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that the the reports of a lady in Congress that believes that there's a Jewish space laser, it's so incendiary that it's more fun or I, you get more clicks and more views sort of saying, this lady thinks that the Jews started the California fires with the space laser. And that's like, wow, that's that's a headline. You know, Biden trying to pass additional stimulus to help all the people that lost their jobs. No one wants to read about that. <laughs> even if you're one of the people who lost their jobs, even if you're one of the people who will benefit from fiscal stimulus, you would rather read about the crazy lady in Georgia and her Jewish space laser. I think to me, uh, that just kind of speaks to what is news and what is entertainment? Mm-hmm. You know, are they saying that because it's more entertaining to talk about the space lady in Florida? Or uh, is it news that, oh, we're going to have a stimulus package for people who can't pay the bills, who can't put food on the table? Uh, they're going hungry. Uh, they're cutting their meals down to one a day or one every two days because they have to. Uh, that's 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 news. That's critical. That's important. Uh, but... Maybe it's not as entertaining as some space cadet out there doing doing antics. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the problem is that these news articles, they function like a YouTuber or they function like um, the more clicks you get, the more ads you sell. So... 
yes, there's nothing factually wrong with saying this lady's crazy. <laughs> Look at all the crazy things she's done. That's all reporting, you know? And it's like, she says she's not crazy. And it's like, well, we have video of her, you know, accosting a teenage kid whose friends just got killed at, at his high school, saying that he's fake. And it's like, can you contextualize this video to make her look good? No, you can't. But is that the news you should be covering? Uh, and some people would say, of course it is. Yeah, I think that the public has a right to know that this lady is in Congress and she did all this stuff. And there's an argument to be made for that. But I think the reason they report on that is not because the public needs to know. I think it's because the public would rather be outraged by that than take a hard look at the things that are being done to claw back economically from the pandemic and realize that it's going to be a long road. Yeah, because uh, they can, the uh, the lady that they can be angry at doesn't affect them. It's not mm -hmm. personal. And so they can disengage themselves and be angry at something that doesn't affect them. Yeah. <clears throat> and so there's, that's, to me, that's kind of entertainment. You watch a, watch a movie, you watch a show, and you can either be happy or sad or angry uh but you can turn it off and it's over. But uh, some news, it's not over because uh, that's going to affect you. And uh, so they get, there again, journalism, well, what is news and what is what's the uh, what's the goal or purpose or mandate uh, of journalism? You know, what what are their what is their uh, what is their purpose? You know, what's the purpose of journalism and the news? Uh, and then, well, journalism and news, I think, are two different things. Journalism is reporting something, and news is bringing the news uh, to the public. I don't know. I've just started thinking. I've never thought about it that much, and I'm mm -hmm. sure there's people out there who could answer these questions in, in detail and, and quite well. I just, don't, I just don't know. But it made me think about it. I'm just another citizen of the United States that says, Hey, I never thought about this. You know, this is important stuff. Uh, and, and you can, what you bring in front of people and what you have them think about is important. It's yeah. very important. And I, I guess it's sort of like, uh, I make this analogy a lot. This is, might be a misplaced analogy. Um, but you take a look at, I made this analogy years ago about art, like an artist making art. And you take the Academy Awards. And there's the best picture film of that year. It was Moonlight. And it made $35 million at the box office. And then you take the highest grossing film of that year, which was Fast and Furious 7. And that made almost a billion dollars at the box office. Well, is Fast and Furious 7 20 times better than the, the best picture? So these reporters, they go out there and they do this reporting. And I think it's important that the real stories get told or this, you know, there's journalistic integrity in this world and people are doing this work. I mean, it's sad that the market doesn't really care. You know, like the most important story in the New York Times today will get fewer clicks than a story about the crazy Jewish space laser lady. 
And <laughs> that's sad, but that's just the way the world works, right? Yes, and the sad part of that is when an important decision or important issue that's being debated either in the Pentagon or the White House or the Congress and it gets reported, people start looking at that as, well, that's not entertaining. No, that's not funny. Yeah, and so, wait a minute. No, that's not the point. The point is that this is serious. And so I don't want to be serious. Uh, I, I want to see something... Uh, Tell me about some space lady that talks about lasering people. That's what I want to hear. Uh, that's the problem, I think, that we don't take seriously these things because we can turn away and we still have food on the table. We have a shelter and that's going away. And uh, by the way, uh, I think uh, in America, we we have a lot of uh, comforts that other people in this world do not have. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, we take it for granted, and that's why these things become an issue. I think uh, you don't appreciate what you have until you lose it, uh, or you see what other people don't have, you appreciate what you have. And I think, uh, I, again, that may be a little bit off, off topic, but it's still, I think, in the area of uh, understanding, like, What's what's good and what's uh, uh, what's good journalism? Yeah, uh, to report what should be reported, and it's not just entertainment. Well, I think I think that's a point well taken. It's um, you can work eighty hours a week and buy a Porsche, but you lose your wife and your kids because you worked so hard. And it's like then you're all alone with your Porsche, and it's like was it worth it? Uh, but I guess. Going back, journalism, it's a different, I think we're mixing metaphors here. <laughs> uh, I think journalism, yeah, I guess journalism, the story that gets the most clicks is like the Porsche. And the story that needs to be told that requires good uh, reporting, that's the one that, you know, no one will, uh, no one will covet, to use a biblical term, a stable life where you have meaningful relationships with the people that you love and um, everyone's sort of on the same page and working together and they support each other, you know, but if you buy that new Porsche and your neighbor sees it, they'll say, man, I want that Porsche. You know, your neighbor doesn't say, man, I want their sense of solidarity. Like that's not, so the things that people, that people are attracted to, the shiny objects aren't necessarily what makes the world go around. I guess like it's like that old phrase. Uh, this might be a biblical phrase too. Not all that glitters is gold. Where does that phrase come from? Do you know? I don't know. I don't think that's the Bible. Oh, it's uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not the Bible. Uh, close, right? Lord of the Rings, the Bible. <laughs> well, you know, hearing you talk, uh, I guess I, uh, in my mind I'm thinking uh, it's one thing that appeals to the masses, that is going to be reported, that appeals to the masses, that's important to the media. It's another thing that's told behind in your home of the values of the family, and the values of, of togetherness and supporting each other at home. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes those get mixed, you know, and so you don't have that solidarity at home in some families. And I think it's the family where 
it, it may be boring if it's on the big screen or if, or if it's on TV uh, or if it's broadcast, it's boring. But at home, it's not boring when you have comfort, when you have people who love you, people who are at home. So the message at home is different than the message on the big screen. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to say. And so the message at home, don't mix them. Don't try to make the home a big screen. I think some people do. Yeah. They bring that into their homes and they uh, have conflict and uh, the aggression. And no, uh, that's not right. The home is a sanctuary where everyone should come together and support and believe in one another. Yeah, but some people, they, they're, they don't feel alive unless they're arguing. It's it's sad, it's but true. It, it's it's true. That's true. A lot of people out there, and some people don't feel alive. Uh, well, we can we can go down that path. Uh, there's all different kind of people out there, and we've seen it in history. I, yeah, uh, and, and to bring it back to journalism, no one wants to read about budget reconciliation. No one wants to read about these things that are being done that may affect your life. They want to be outraged. You know, they want conflict. So if the story doesn't inherently outrage you, it's not going to be a performer for the media outlet. So what are they going to do? They're going to choose stories that are likely to outrage people. And then every story becomes outrageous. And and then it becomes this feedback loop where it has to be more and more outrageous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I found journalism very, uh, just this year, very, very interesting. Well, actually, this last four years, mm-hmm. <laughs> and how it can be used uh, but, positively and negatively. It's interesting. But these last four years, do you think it's because Donald Trump was a lot of things, but you cannot call him boring? No. I think that, uh, like, I think a lot of people became interested in in cable news and what happened on a day to day basis because. And this is, I think, partly strategy. I mean, it might be dumb luck on his part. But I think he knew the more they're enraged, the more they're engaged. And a couple days would go by, and the last outrageous thing he did would sort of cause other stories to seep through the cracks. And he's like, no, these people cannot be focused on something else. Let me do something outrageous, and then everyone will be up in arms again. And he started the cycle over and over again. And I think that... Part of that strategy, part of that's just who he is, and part of it was a dumb luck that even though if he wasn't the president, no one would care about him. But for four years, he was able to stoke those fires. And I think that what people are dealing with now, like the late night guys, and, and what we did, we chose a hilarious time to start a podcast because I feel like the last four years, we would have had a lot to talk about. Like, oh, I'm so outraged. Did you see... He told these American citizens that are in our Congress to go back to their countries. Like, we could have had a whole episode on that. I don't think we're going to get that sort of red meat from Joe Biden. I think he's going to be much more boring. So politics aside, Donald Trump was a lot of things he wasn't boring. And Joe Biden, for these next four years, I, I feel like he's going to be more boring. That's my prediction, and I think that will come true. Well, talking about Trump and what he did, since we're being very honest here, I'm not I'm not sure 
everyone says he's a genius and he's so sharp. I'm not sure that's what he did. Uh, he did have people uh, uh, advise him, smart people advise him. But I think mainly what he did was just reacting uh, to uh, feedback that he got when he tweeted. Yeah. It's kind of like, I think, uh, maybe maybe my thinking was uh, was influenced by the, the naked gun uh, when Leslie Nielsen said, strike. <laughs> and everyone started cheering and go, oh, I can say strike and go strike, you know, and everyone's looking at me, you know. And, and what I saw there was Trump tweeting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Trump tweets and everyone's go, whoa, yeah. Oh, OK, well, let me do it some more. And I think it was just his reaction uh, rather than, you know, I think strategically if I do this, I can really uh, I, I don't. Other people could have advised him, but when he did that and got that feedback, that's what fed the fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least that's how, that's what I think. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's kind of what I feel. Well, I think any political strategist worth their salt. Is that a thing? Worth their salt? Did I just make up that phrase? <laughs> I don't think so. Worth their salt. I'm looking that one up, too, because... <laughs> Look up sayings. Worth their salt. A good or competent at the job... Or profession. What does, where did it come from? Where did it come from? I'm learning. Well, in the Bible, it's the salt of the earth. They talk about that. But I don't know about worth your salt. All right, here's from the History Channel. I can't share it because, you know, my computer's broken. But you you might think of salt as nothing more than the inexpensive stuff that tastes good sprinkled on french fries or popcorn. But in fact, it's far more than just a seasoning and has a long history as a highly prized substance. Today, there are reportedly more than 14,000 known uses for salt. Not only does the human body need it to function properly, but salt also is utilized for everything from producing chemicals to de-icing roads. Before the days of artificial refrigeration, the main method of preserving food was to treat it with salt. In this way, salt came to represent power. Without it, armies couldn't travel great distances and explorers couldn't sail to new lands because their provisions would spoil. Throughout the ages, a variety of cultures also (laughs) used this mineral in ceremonies and religious rituals. For many centuries, until salt deposits were discovered throughout the world and extraction methods improved, salt was scarce, which made it more valuable. In some ancient societies, roads and cities have developed as a result of the salt trade. The expression, to be worth one's salt, which means you're competent and deserve what you're earning, is most often said to have its roots in ancient Rome, where soldiers were sometimes paid in salt or given an allowance to purchase it. The word salary is derived from the Latin salarum, which originally referred to a soldier's allowance to buy salt. There we go. Fascinating, huh? Pretty cool. Yeah, it is very cool. Um, So... (laughs) <laughs> Any political advisor worth their salt was telling Trump, get off Twitter. You know, it's the tweets that get you in trouble. It's the tweets and the retweets. They're getting you in trouble. Um, but it's like the naked gun, this strike. Uh, I think Donald Trump, he, I think he said, it's the tweets and retweets that are keeping me in the news. Uh, you know, he passed a tax cut and... Um, Kushner, you know, he forged 
Middle Eastern normalization of relations between Israel and the UAE and Morocco. And uh, that's about it, right? So people don't talk about that. I mean, they don't, they don't talk about the tax cut or... I, I would say those are the two cornerstone accomplishments of that administration. Uh, and you'll never hear those. Those aren't even in the top 15. You know, instead of, do you remember when he passed that tax cut? People say, oh, do you remember when he asked that kid on Christmas Eve, who was seven years old, if he was still a believer in Santa Claus? That's what people remember. Uh, they remember the tweets and the retweets. So th that, I, I, like you said, I don't think that it was smarts. But I think that he decided this is who I'm going to be, and he did not deviate from that for four years. But and I think I, it is this time that because of the feedback. Yes. And a political advisor would tell you, don't do that because you'll work yourself into positions you can't get out of. But I think that he said, you know, that's if I wanted to be a politician. I, I don't. I want to be a demagogue. <laughs> I, I mean. That's, that's very true. Yeah, and, and actually, he did work himself in so many situations, and he didn't care. Uh-huh. It was the attention. It wasn't, oh, yeah, I was wrong. No, I was right. Uh, and so, uh, let's fact check it. It says, no, it's my facts. Mm -hmm. My fact is, I'm always right. <laughs> so, it, it, it that didn't bother him. No. It didn't bother him, because his attention was so much more than what was truthful. And because of that... Every, so many millions of people believed in him and followed him uh, because of his, I don't know why, maybe maybe because of his confidence, uh, but someone who was uh, would say those things, uh, America liked that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think also he, one of the reasons for his appeal is not that he was right. It's that he wasn't boring. <laughs> that's That's right. Uh, I'm saying that was like the feature, not a bug. Like any political strategist would be like, you're going to commit like political suicide by tweeting out that these countries are shitholes or whatever. Um, you can't do that. And he's like, watch me do it and watch people be love it because it's not what they're expecting. It's just, and I think that one prediction I have for the Biden administration is it's going to be way more boring. Even though we have unprecedented problems, his Biden's leadership style is not as provocative as Trump's. And I think whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, you can agree with me on that. <laughs> yeah, or independent or libertarian or whatever. Uh-huh. And I do feel like uh, writers for the late night shows, they're going to have to work a little harder. Because <laughs> every monologue was... They got fed a bevy of new things to criticize the president about, and that's what every monologue was about. Uh, we get that. Sh um, it's I think it's called retro or something on Antenna TV over at your house, uh, and they they air old episodes of the Johnny Carson show. And Johnny Carson will do his monologue, and we were, we were watching it during Trump, and the fascinating thing was. There were jokes about, you know, popular brands of soda pop. And there were jokes about, you know, something that happened in Wisconsin. And and then he had one small joke, and it was a play on words about Reagan. 
And it wasn't putting him down or anything. And it was just so strange during the era of Trump to see a late night host come out. Of course, this is from 35 years earlier. But a late night host come out and do his whole monologue and have none of it be about how the president's an idiot. Because that's what late night television became. Yeah. I think... And that, that, and that may be why I... I didn't like it that much about because I'm so used to uh, respecting our leaders, whether you agree with them or not. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and uh, it was it was uh, it was uh, derogatory. I, I found the humor derogatory. Yeah. Uh, from time to time, sometimes uh, it, they cross the line. Sometimes we mentioned that last time. Also, and so maybe that maybe that's why I grew up with with respecting the leaders. Also, uh, um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, Trump would uh, insult people, and so the late night people would be like, "Well, we can insult Trump. He insults people," and I think that's a dangerous precedent. What he's doing is wrong, so I'm going to do it too. <laughs> and. Yeah, he's the president and you're just some guy on TV. But you should say, what he's doing is wrong, so I won't do that. If, if you truly believe that what he's doing is wrong, you shouldn't do the same thing back to him. Because then what you're doing is wrong. Does that stand to reason? It stands to reason to me. But that's not human nature. No. Uh, when you're someone hurts you, you want to hurt him back. You know, and someone says some, do something wrong, you want to do it too. Uh so it's that's not that's human nature to do that that mm -hmm. way. So I I think, but also, even though what he did was I don't think out of genius, he did have advisors, but I think we did see how he tapped into something that I think a lot of people didn't realize the power of, uh, and that is the 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 popular opinion of that type of an opinion of. Uh, throw logic and truth aside and just go uh, forge around this personality mm -hmm. that's unapologetic. And I don't think people uh, five years ago thought that that would happen. Yeah. Uh, I did, didn't think that was true. I think that's, But it is true. That's 100%. I think you're right. Uh, simmering rage, right? There's this underbelly of rage. And going back to, we talked about fallacies, there's the appeal to popularity. Something's popular, therefore it must be right. But the fascinating thing about Trump is he never had an approval rating above 50%. So people will say, 75 million people voted for him, and we're going to disenfranchise them? Like, there's no way he lost. And it's like, yeah, but the majority of the country, the majority of the country, disapproved of the job he was doing 100% of the time he was doing that job. So how could he possibly not lose? Uh, if that's, I mean, if, if you're going to appeal to popularity, you have to point out that a majority of people never liked him. Um, now, a huge minority of people did like him, and that's what they're trying to say. Look at how big the minority of people that likes him is. There's no way he lost. And it's like, but it's still a minority. <laughs> well... To carry what we said before into this argument, if you're appealing to popularity and say, 
forty percent. So we can't disinfect. You can't argue that with an appeal to popularity of the sixty percent. Yeah. So you're attacking that argument with the same fallacy of of the other side, which is not the popularity argument. It's the fact that they did have. Uh, it's a fact that a majority was against him. Mm-hmm. So therefore, it's a fallacy. Instead of saying a majority was against him, so therefore that's true. Uh, so that that's using a, appeal to popularity as a fallacy again. I don't know. I, to me, I just think you need to. It's it's a slippery slope. Yeah, slippery slope. And so people go down that slippery slope all the time, and, and they start as they go down, they spiral down, and then all of a sudden they find themselves down here, uh, where our economy is bad. Uh, we lost the White House. I mean, we lost the White House. We lost the the House. We lost the Senate. Uh, our economy is down. Everything is down. But then on the way down, we always thought it was the best thing for us. Mm-hmm. It's the best thing for us because we were told it's the best thing for us. It's the best thing for us. It's the best thing for us. But now we find ourselves here. Well, it's not his fault because he said it was the best thing for us. Yeah. No one so could have done better. Here? No one could have done better. It's the best president we ever had. So now, <laughs> now that we're here, what do we do? We have to find someone to blame. Uh-huh. Because it's not me. Okay, again, that's the logic, and I think he's tapped into something that you think, oh, that's terrible. Okay, maybe it is. Maybe it's not. But so many people believe that. So to me, I just found it fascinating these last four years. What's going on? And I think what's going on is revealing something that maybe smart uh, people, men and women, have seen uh, over history. Uh, but I think uh, it's uh, being brought to the forefront because of social media. Because mm-hmm. how could two guys like us be talking like this uh, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago? Wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. But now we can discuss these things and, and ask questions. I thought of something. And I, it's not that clever, but I think I got I got to <laughs> word it right. The Republican Party, by embracing Donald Trump and the racism and division and hatred that he brought along with him, has become the thing they hate and fear most, a minority. <laughs> They're the minority party of grievance. Uh, so, I mean, it was minorities that got Joe Biden elected, but really the Republicans are in the minority now. Isn't that true? That's yeah, true. Yeah. I, I, I think that that's, it's a potential future, the minority party of grievance, where... The other side is bad, so vote for us. 30, 40, 45, 35% of the country are diehard Republicans, and 65%, 60% are, are Democrats. And you can't craft policy with that small of a coalition. Well, I mean, they may find their coalition. They always do. I'm not, I'm not sure that, I don't know. This is a question for historians. I'm not a historian. 
again, I have a lot of respect for people who are who devote their life to history in different regions. But a, a political historian, not not politics, but over the centuries. Here's a question for them. Uh, when a country was overturned, like a coup, mm-hmm. was it done by the majority or by a minority? Uh, was it the the act of minorities that took over that changed the majorities from this majority to this to their majority? Mm-hmm. Was it a minority that overtook these countries? I don't know. I, I say, that's a question I'd like to answer. Like the Bolsheviks and, or the like the Mao's were, were Reds. They a minority? Mao's Reds right. versus Chiang Kai-shek's whites. Exactly. Or the Bolsheviks of Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, or uh, when there was a coup, or even in. Uh, even in in Africa, or the, a lot of these countries, or the Americans, the revolutionaries that said, "We don't want." Are they the minority? We don't want to remain loyal to the crown. We want to establish a new country. I don't know. And so the minority, the minority, then they're the ones who are aggressive. The majority uh, does not stop them. They take over, then the majority shifts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, that's a question I like answered by historians, someone who has studied this, because I, I don't know. I haven't studied it. It's just a question. Also, it's it's difficult when you look at uh, the Bolsheviks versus the Mensheviks or, or the czars, you know, the communists versus the czars and then the Bolsheviks versus the Mensheviks or uh, Imperial China versus the Reds and the Whites, Mao. And Chiang Kai-shek, uh, those they're not coming from democracy. So a lot of times when there's a revolution, it doesn't start with who was in the majority. They don't think in terms of majoritarian. If it's an imperial society you're transitioning from, there's no data as to the majority of the people felt this way. The major because there's no elections. See what I'm saying? So you're, yes, tra- absolutely. you're transitioning from an undemocratic government and then you could argue into a, another undemocratic form of government. So you go from czarist Russia to Bolshevik Russia. Well, it's difficult to say where does the majority lie when it's never really tried in free and fair elections because you don't know where it lied before. And yeah, they got enough a band of people together enough to, to kill Tsar Nicholas II and his whole family uh, and take over the reins of power, was that the majority? We don't know, because we don't know where the majority stood before. And then once they took power, we don't know where the majority stood after. Power was power. It's, I think that's a fascinating, you know. And if your system, if you're transitioning from one undemocratic system to another, does it matter what the majority thinks? Well, I think I think there's a layering here of... A political logic and political strategy and human nature. And the human nature then will say, oh, we're in power, so they can't do anything to hurt us, so we're not going to do anything about it. It says, no, well, we want to change things, and so we're going to be more active. And so there's a human nature flow here. Uh, and so it's not about the majority and minority. It's about just human nature being active and inactive. And then you have the the political logic up here that's going to be driven by uh, the human nature, whoever's in power. Uh, It's kind of like uh, right, uh, what is it? Might makes right. uh, Might makes right kind of thing. 
and I think that's simplification, but I think there are some, some, the human nature versus political logic uh, and also political nature. There's some issues going on there that I think we've seen in this country uh, over these last four years building. Uh, people follow Trump not because he's right. They don't follow Trump because he speaks truth. But why do they follow him? I don't think they follow him because of his political prowess. They follow him for other reasons that are non-political, but that political can tap into some underlying type of uh, force that I think we've seen this last four years. I think he's tapped into something that I think people need to start thinking about. It's not it's not just a pure logic, political logic. Uh, it is a complicated uh, whole mechanism uh, that's operating today and in the future. I, I think that uh, I saw this. I've told you about this before. Uh, they did studies, polls in 2019, 2020. If you were going to not vote for Trump, who would you vote for out of the bevy of Democratic candidates? And Trump voters were most likely to say Bernie. And I think that, like you said, it's not about right versus left. It's not about communism or socialism versus fascism. Uh, you know, sort of taking someone, take Trumpism and say, that's fascism. Or take Bernieism and say, that's communism. It, that, that doesn't register with people. What registers with them, I think, is the anger, the indignation. Now, if you're on the left, you'll say, well, Bernie's indignation is righteous indignation and Trump's is unrighteous. But whether the indignation is righteous or not, that's immaterial. It's the fact that their mind state, the fact that they're upset with things that are going, that's going on, make America great again, means it wasn't great when I got here. I'm going to make it great again. And it's like, yeah, things aren't going great. And you're angry and you're spewing fire. And I identify with that. I don't care what your plans are. I don't care what your politics are. I'm going to vote for you because your emotional state matches mine. And then Bernie gets up there and he says, the 99% controls the 1%. And people say, that guy's got fire in his belly. I identify with that. So, you know, Trump voters, if they were going to switch, they would switch to Bernie. And I think it's not because of policy. It's because of attitude. I think that has just as much to do with it as what someone believes, is how they believe it. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether that strike is a strike or a ball. What matters is how much you can make a big deal out of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's what Leslie Nielsen did in, in that movie of the, the Naked Gun. Strike. <laughs> and you go, yay! It's just you call it before even it wasn't even a pitch. You know, it doesn't matter. They're 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 cheering and I'm doing it. You know, mm -hmm. this is it doesn't matter. Trump is saying this. Bernie is saying this. Yeah, let's go for it. Did you listen to what they say? No, I really don't care. Yeah. <laughs> that's essentially what what America does. And you think, oh, that's that's terrible. Well, maybe, maybe not. But the point is, there's a large segment of America, maybe human nature, that will follow that that line of line of reasoning. Mm -hmm. Emotion, not logic. Yeah, 
I think that's true. Emotion, not logic. And I think that's been true throughout the history of mankind. Where, you know, like we talked about fallacies. There's appeal to emotion. Well, the reason why people use an appeal to emotion is because sometimes uh, the heart wants what the head knows is wrong. So all you have to do is just tap into that emotion and you can manipulate people. Or perhaps on the other side of the coin, you can tap into that emotion and get them to do something right. <laughs> you know, if, they're, if their head's at doing something wrong, well, use emotion to get them to do something right. So you could, I think it works both ways. You can emotionally manipulate someone into doing something wrong or doing something right. Like when a mother, I don't know, guilts a child into uh, <laughs> calling more, you know? You know, you never call. And they're like, oh, man, that makes me feel guilty. They're emotionally manipulated. So you start calling, and then you have a, a long conversations, you know, with your mother, and it actually ends up helping you as a person, you know? So it's like that emotional manipulation ends up working. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I think I think a lot of that emotion is is driving. Uh, well, that's individual, but it also drives uh, groups of people, uh, group group movements and group emotion, uh, and everyone will believe in it. Do you think like the Capitol stormers? They were fueled by emotion, right? I think a lot of them were. I th I think they were fueled by a lot of different things, not just one thing. Uh, a lot of it was emotion. Uh, Again, uh, when I see when I see what happened at the Capitol and hear the stories and and see the reporting, uh, the reporting of all different types of elements that were at the Capitol, uh, again, there's layers. There's different layers there, and I think there are people there, like you mentioned, uh, uh, all 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 gas no breaks. Uh, there are people there and says, "Oh, are you for Trump? Are you for Biden? Are you for Pelosi? Are you for?" It says, "I don't care." I just want to storm the Capitol. I want to see the world burn. Yeah, I, I want to. I want to take something. I want to. I want to steal something, mm -hmm. or I want to break the window. I just want to. I just want to uh, be violent. And there are people like that. Mm -hmm. They're there just to be violent. But how do they and end up they... in that crowd because of anger? They're like I'm angry, and these people they believe in some QAnon nonsense, but they're angry too. I'd rather be with them than be with a bunch of people that are. Sitting around drinking herbal tea, playing hand drums, singing kumbaya. Yeah, but see, they're they're angry not because of the issue, but they're angry just for the anger. Yes, and, and yeah. I, I think like that. anger attracts anger. You know, you see, oh, these people are angry. I don't care what they believe. I want to be a part of this. Anger attracts <laughs> anger. I like that, David. That's true. Anger attracts attracts anger. Ignorance attracts ignorance. Mm hmm Yep. And if you're ignorant, you're gonna you're not gonna attract uh, <laughs> people in the know. You know, just, they go, no, you know. But ignorance uh, and anger and uh, <clears throat> blame will attract people who are ignorant uh, and and blame. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, do you think you could just with a level-headed sort of outlook, no underlying simmering anger, read the QAnon stuff and be like, I dispassionately agree with everything I'm seeing here. I don't think so. 
I think you read it and you go, oh, I'm so, that gets back to where we started. If they're not enraged, they're not engaged. You have to enrage people to get them to sort of forget themselves and be like, okay, this is true. I believe this is true. Why? Because I'm so angry about it. <laughs> if it weren't true, why would I be so angry about it? Well, as far as QAnon people, uh, and I don't know if this is true, but I, I, don't, I wouldn't doubt it. <clears throat> I'm not saying everyone's this way. I'm not, I'm not generalizing. I'm saying I'm sure there are some people who follow the QAnon, and if they are asked about the QAnon, all the different theories and conspiracies, they, and they really don't know. I don't know. Uh, but I, I'm following the QAnon because of all the, the excitement. That's why they're there. Mm -hmm. Because of the anger, it makes me feel alive. And also, I get attention. Yes. Because you're asking me, and you would never even talk to me if I didn't have these type of uh, controversial uh, uh, stance, stands, or stance. Uh, if I never did, did this, you would never talk to me. But now you're talking to me. And so now I'm getting all this attention, so why wouldn't I do it? Mm -hmm. And so all the attention is fueling the fire for them to even be more enraged. Because we're engaging them. Yeah. So I think, again, you can't disengage human nature uh, from all of these things that are happening. And I think uh, we have to recognize it. And then as we move forward, use that knowledge in a positive manner moving forward. Because the entropy of the world will go toward uh, uh, dis dis disorder. Mm-hmm. The entropy naturally goes to disorder. You have to fight for the order. Yeah. Anyway, I, th I that's think what that, I have to say. <laughs> I think that's a good place to stop for the day. I think we solved okay. all the world's problems once again. Um, yep. Well, we we're going to talk about the review, but this was fun. I think we can review is basically like potpourri. If something pops into our heads, we can we can talk about it. We we brought we in. Yeah, we brought in Naked Gun and, oh, yeah. and some fallacies. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, to next week in review, next Friday, we'll have read a little bit of the Bible. Maybe we could bring in some Bible stories. Yeah, and we might talk about politics from perspective of the Bible, of uh -huh. Matthew, the book of Matthew, and, uh, and uh, the religious right, you know, and repentance. Uh, again, we're going we're gonna to hit repentance in Matthew. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see repentance and so uh and also the religious right you know their religious and spiritual right and now they review trump yeah okay so you know and so we can ask questions next week and then uh anyway it's going to be an interesting review a week from today so monday tuesday wednesday thursday next week we're going to be in the morning nine nine a.m Unless, unless we have something interfering. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday before the next review. So we'll have four under our belt. Tuesday, we'll have a, a Tuesday movie, right? Movie, movie Tuesday. Tuesday. We could do Thursday. We, we saw Vast of Night last night. Yeah, I was thinking about it last night. So we can talk about that maybe on Tuesday. But I, I was thinking about it, waking up about it. And there's some things that when I rethink it, Ah, uh, there's some connections I didn't see at first. But I'm starting to see now. I thought, I thought it, was, it was well done. 
I thought it was well done. Like you said, the story wasn't great, but the way that it was told was pretty compelling. The filmmaker, yeah. it was a first-time filmmaker. I thought they did a good job. Was it? I thought they did a really good job, yeah. And then Monday, uh, we talked about Yogi Berra. Maybe we'll do something else. I think uh, we're doing superstitions on, superstitions on Monday. Oh, stupid. Yeah, that's going to be good. It's our 13th episode. 13th episode. Superstitions. Where does that stuff come from? <laughs> Let's research it and talk about it, David, okay? Yep. Superstitions <laughs> like numerology, uh, astrology, and chiropractic medicine. <laughs> Oh, you're trying to enrage people there, David? <laughs> you're trying to kind of slip that in to enrage people? I Yeah, I think in terms of therapeutic benefit, I would say it goes astrology, numerology, essential oils, chiropractic medicine. That's, that's my uh, <laughs> ranking ladder. And the interesting thing is... Um, their efficacy is in reverse order from their cost. Fascinating, huh? It's inversely related to their cost. Because maybe it's inverse related to people's uh, attention. Oh, well, uh, no, I think that to get someone to buy into quackery, you have to make them make an investment. Mm -hmm. If you're like, oh, come to my chiropractic clinic, I'll crack your back and it'll cost five bucks. You're like, sounds a little sketchy. You say I'll crack your back and it'll cost five hundred bucks. You're like, nah, there might be something to this. Why would it be so expensive if it weren't real? Right? Uh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Actually, that's true because you know, uh, when I was young, my dad Sequoia, sons of Sequoia, he ran a grocery store, and he would say, you know, this, these peas aren't moving. Uh, I need to raise the price. They go, why would you raise the price? You lower the price, you know, and they'll buy more. He says, no, uh, I raise the price because I think it's it's more valuable. And he would raise the price, and he'd sell all the peas. Mm -hmm. I go, how did you know that? He says, I've been doing it for a long time. I know what happens. 60 years later, you have Whole Foods. They realize, raise the price on everything in the store. <laughs> people will think it's more valuable. And then you slap on a, a green leaf, and all of a sudden people pay more for it. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah. this this has been fun. Another good week. I think we solved most of the world's problems this week. Yeah, we're starting to reach everybody now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, we'll be back Monday, 9 a.m. Mm -hmm. Sounds good to me. I uh, can't wait. It's going to be good. Well, I'm signing off. If you have anything you want to say, you can say it now. But goodbye, everyone. Yeah, I guess I'm supposed to say keep on talking, but listen more than you talk. Because you can't really talk without listening, so you got to listen too. Sounds good to me. Until uh, okay. next time, everyone. Bye.